Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I wrote this commentary while I was in Wales on a visit with my wife to the land of her birth. Don't tell her, but I really enjoy my visits to Wales almost as much as she does, I think. There's so much history in the UK, and of course, I was born and spent most of my childhood as a British subject until uh, Bohemian independence, that is. There's a lot of familiarity in my memory banks from the time when the British were here and we had those dark blue passports with the British crest on the front and a message inside from the Queen requesting safe passage for me with my British passport. Of course, we are still in the Commonwealth of Nations, and for the most part, I believe we still do recognize the Queen as head of that Commonwealth and our head of state. Our lawyers are proud of the ability to be able to qualify for and to be recognized with the letters QC, Queen's Council, after their names, signaling their attainment of the highest professional achievement of their career, and a number of our citizens, too, relish the opportunity to be recognized with a knighthood from Her Majesty and then to be referred to as Sir So-and-so. All earthly meshes, to be sure. Secular recognition and worldly fame. Not all of it bad, of course. Much of it well-deserved. But none of it of eternal value. These titles and designations, regardless from whom it comes, all serve a purpose here and now, and hopefully have been awarded to those who are truly deserving. We recognize that all of these vestiges and honorific trimmings grew out of an empire that once stretched around the globe. Mustered within the context of the greatest navy the world had ever known, the empire grew and expanded, protected by His Majesty's Royal Navy. Missionaries, as well as countless business people and traders, many British civil servants that populated the governmental and civic posts throughout the empire, and in my opinion, among the local inhabitants, almost all fared well under this administration. Of course, as with all human endeavors, there were the charlatans and the scam artists and the officious autocratics, all of them mixed in with those who really wanted to do a good job. There were as well the usual ne'er-do-wells mixed in with the patch as well, and not to mention that among the locals there were those who embraced the opportunity and did as well as they could, taking advantage of the skills and knowledge and the important connections that the British had to offer them at the time. Then there were those who despaired of these foreigners in their land, refused to countenance any help or involvement with them. No matter what good might have been gleaned from the experiences and contributions of the British overlords, the hate and the anger and the resentment squashed any good that might have been gleaned. I recently read the synopsis of a new book that has just been published in February this month that speaks to this theme. More in a minute.
This book being released in February this month is entitled Unfinished Empire, The Global Expansion of Britain. The synopsis was quite intriguing and suggestive. It seems the author takes the position in the book that Britain never actually conceived or intended to build a world empire. It just sort of evolved. Many thanks to the expansive, powerful and dominant navy, the entrepreneurial spirit of the British merchants and the felt need of people to send the gospel to the ends of the earth. They all kind of contributed somehow to the effect. I've not yet had the book, as it has just been published, as I said, but I'm surmising and building my theory on what I read in the synopsis and what my imagination brings to the mix. I'm looking forward to reading the book, and in all this speculation, it is evident to me, back in those days of yore, there was a very strong desire to get the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth, and if the British Navy could guarantee safe passage for missionaries to various destinations, why not take advantage of their protection? Whatever. For one, I'm certainly glad that the message of God's love came to the Bahamas one day, and eventually I heard it and responded, and I thank God for that.
Now with this message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. Greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for tuning in to Echoes of Calvary. But before we resume with our series that we've entitled, The Human Difference and Its Impact Upon the Christians Dealing with the Moral Dilemmas of Our Day, I would like to take this opportunity to invite you to attend our 41st Annual World Missions Conference, which begins with our 11 a.m. service today and continues through Lord's Day, March the 10th. Our theme for the conference is The Urgency of Evangelism in World Missions Today. Our special speaker for the week is Evangelist Ui Chin Aik. He's the founder of Ministries for Asia Pacific, where he labors for the Lord in seeking to train and send evangelists into the tribal peoples of Asia and the Pacific region. Our conference, as I mentioned before, begins today with our regular 11 a.m. Lord's service, and then again in the evening at 6.30 p.m. Weeknight services, Monday through Wednesday, and a special outdoor family outreach rally on Friday night, all beginning at 7 p.m. We will close out the week with our 11 a.m. service next Lord's Day. We invite you to attend to be blessed as we learn and are challenged with what God is doing around the world as we join with the church worldwide to fulfill his mandate to make disciples of all nations. Waiting to see you at our conference. Lord bless. Now let's resume with our series on the human difference and its impact upon the Christian's dealing with the moral dilemmas of our day. My thesis for this series of messages is that most, if not all, of the social and moral issues that challenge us today are actually asking one underlining question, and that question is, what is man? Or to make it more personal, who am I as a human being? Is there a human difference? Now, it is vitally important for the Christian to know the answer to this question, in fact, these questions. And as I hope to show from the Word of God, it will enable them to answer much of the current social and moral questions we have been faced with today. Questions such as, is abortion the termination of a human life? Is the fetus a human being with a soul? Is embryonic stem cell research and application moral or immoral? Is euthanasia moral? Is there such a thing as the right to die? What defines the value of life? Quality, quantity, or sanctity? Is capital punishment inhumane or, in fact, humane? And with reference to the current and upcoming debate, is same-sex marriage a basic human right? Does it have to do more with the nature of marriage than it has to do with sexual orientation? Now, these are the kind of issues we are faced with today in a so-called progressive society, which is it claimed to be built on the fruit or results of science, which is a major argument some are giving as a reason why we should abandon our traditional Christian heritage and enter into the brave new era of globalization so as to be one with our brothers and sisters around the world who have already abandoned the Christian ethic. These are the kinds of social and moral dilemmas that challenge Christians today. How do they, how do we as Christians then, decide what is in keeping with the word of God 
as well as what is best for the moral upbuilding of our country. This series of messages is intended to help us as believers in Jesus Christ who hold the Bible as being the final authoritative source for our faith and practice to respond to these moral challenges with certainty and in a way that honors our Lord Jesus Christ and exalts our nation with a lifestyle that demonstrates righteousness rather than immorality and unrighteousness. Now let me read the passage of Scripture that is the basis and foundation for this series of messages. It's Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 26, and we'll go through verse 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. End of quote. Now, last time, we concluded our message with a focus on the importance of being certain what our worldview as Christians is, because in the final analysis, it's our worldview that determines and guides our behavior. We began to explain and contrast the Christian worldview with several competing worldviews that are now being evidenced in our society that impact both our social and religious beliefs. I want to make it very clear as the basis for my remarks. We must understand that our worldview concerning human nature determines how we regard ourselves as well as how we treat and relate to other human beings and all of God's creation as well. A theistic or Christian worldview regards human beings as being unique in God's creation. Man is seen to be qualitatively different from animals. We are, therefore, not to treat other human beings as something to be used or to be manipulated as a means to serve ourselves or to serve the state. We may use animals as a means, but we are not to exploit or even abuse them. Our treatment of human beings and animals is based on this qualitative difference. A pantheistic worldview, on the other hand, regard other humans indifferently, almost in a fatalistic sense. This worldview, by its very nature, cannot be the stimulus for social good, because good does not exist in this perspective. Likewise, a humanistic worldview, although it talks a great deal about social goods such as eliminating poverty, disease, and ignorance, and so on, and talks about man in a lofty language, as demonstrated in its famous motto, man is the measure of all things. However, realistically speaking, humanism really does not have a sound basis for treating man any different than animals. For instance, consider the following questions. If a man is essentially no different from a pig or an ox, except that he has more brain cells, and if a computer is more powerful mentally than man, man is then neither unique nor significant. But that's what a humanistic philosophy leads to on a practical level. But now think about it, my friends, and that's what we want you to do. Sila, think about it. 
If man is different only in degree from animals, then would not a superior man be justified in treating an inferior man in a way that is only different in degree from his treatment of animals or a subhuman? There is no valid basis for treating all men as equals in this humanistic worldview. Also, if human worth is arbitrarily assigned according to certain criteria, what happens when that criteria is removed? For instance, as I mentioned last time, if dolphins are given civil rights, if they should develop communicative ability with humans, with which much effort is now being exerted to bring about, what happens to humans who lose the ability to speak or to communicate? What happens if a person ceases to be a productive unit and becomes a burden or even inconvenient to society? The answer is clear to one with a humanistic worldview. Do away with such humans. Eliminate them. Eradicate them because they are no longer serving or giving back to the community. They have lost their usefulness. They are now takers from society rather than givers to society. Their usefulness has come to an end. This then provides a basis and even a motivation for euthanasia. It is also possible and even likely that this is the reason for the violence and the inhumane way we see Bahamians treating one another today. We just don't regard human life as something worthy and something that is dignified. In other words, humanism does not have a truly humane basis for treatment of human beings made in the image of God. And I believe it's important for us to teach our children and adults alike that man's worth and value are based on the fact that we are made in the image of God, as clearly stated by our Creator. Let me read the passage again. God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female he created them, and God blessed them. And so the value of human life must be based on the sanctity of life rather than on the quantity or quality of life. And I want to make it clear, it is only the Bible who teaches about the sanctity of life because we are created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. I say to you, my friends, our young people must be made to understand that there is a human difference. We must demonstrate this truth both in how we regard ourselves as well as how we treat others. Our citizens today need to be retaught and reoriented to what it means to be made in the image of God. And so next time, Lord willing, we will look at how the Imago Dei are being made in the image of God impacts our view and attitude toward same-sex marriage, which is coming into the area of discussion. But until then, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things.
heaven when his blessed face we see. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground. in a moment Jesus Christ could come again